Welcome to Elixir Mix, your weekly Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson. On our panel today, we have Josh Adams. Yo. And our special guest today is Anders Smedegord Pedersen. I hope Hello. I said that appropriately enough. Yeah, that was fine. Glad yeah, you could come nice. on. Yeah, so, nice to be here. If you could please just kind of give a little introduction to yourself for the, uh, the benefit of the, our listeners. Right. So uh, I'm from Denmark, uh, moved to Norway in uh, 2009, where uh, <laughs> eventually I got uh, undergrad in uh, computer science and uh, I started working as a developer uh, just a few years ago. Um, yeah. In regards to Elixir, um, I uh, went to this conference in Trondheim, Norway a few years ago, and there was this random guy called Joseph Alim who, uh, who had this talk uh, and, uh, about Elixir, of course. And uh, at the time, I didn't really think much about it. Um, but uh, uh, at some point, I wanted to learn functional programming, and I Googled around and actually just went for Elixir because of the documentation. It was so good that I thought I could learn this on my own. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, that's me. Right now I'm working as a consultant and uh, I'm, I'm doing uh, Android development. So yeah. Very cool. So I was curious as to, that was part of my question. You say you're currently doing Android. So are you doing any Elixir stuff professionally or is that still just growing as an interest? Yeah, just uh, as a hobby. Um, so, uh, yeah, as everybody else you talk to, basically, that's not working with Elixir. I, I hope to land a, a job where I could do some Elixir at some point. Do you do, you do Kotlin or straight Java? Uh, Kotlin. So okay, have, you, have you seen Erlang's J interface? No, I haven't. Oh, you should play with it. It's neat. It interfaces Java to an Erlang network. Uh, um yeah actually when that might be a dane who wrote that if i'm not mistaken uh i went to uh i went to codebeam in london in november and and talked to the guy if uh if i'm thinking about the right thing so yeah yeah <laughs> I it's, have to it's, check that it's out. part of this it's part of the standard library but i, I wouldn't be oh, too okay. surprised okay that's cool. I'll, I'll have to check that out. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at Sentry.io. Well, one of the reasons we wanted to invite you on is you are kind of newer to the Elixir community. 
And you'd recently had some experiences and you blogged about it and shared what kind of was going on. And we thought this was interesting and of uh, interest to uh, our listeners. And so one of the things is, so you're, you're coming as a, a, not a newcomer to programming, but you know, uh, you, but a newcomer to the community and you're, you know, you're already, you know, doing development, you're doing uh, Android development and, and I'm sure you've played with other things too. Um, but I'm just kind of curious, what has your, as you kind of come in, came into the um, environment or the, the community, what was your experience like? Well, at first I, it just when you when I first grabbed uh, pattern matching and uh, all that stuff, you have to learn. And uh, it seems everybody who actually understands it at some point fall in love with it. You know, the pipe operators and other thing that's mentioned very often. That's just so cool, and the. It's it's so easy to reason about pure functions and stuff like that. Um, so that was uh, that was the stuff that I kind of fell in love with. That I feel like everybody else <laughs> falls for. Um, so uh, yeah. So one of the things that I, I found very interesting about your experience is that you. Um, like you kind of came on to Elixir forum and you asked this question and this was around, let me see, I can pull it up. This was around April. And there was a lot of discussion in the community that was kind of talking about like, Oh, do you really need a database? Yeah, and right. you, know, you can, you know, possibly even create Elixir applications that are just all state is managed in gen servers. And Oh, I don't actually go and create tables until I've kind of validated the design through in-memory gen servers. And, 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 and so your, your question was basic, you know, it was, it was like, you know, what the heck's going on? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was, um, yeah. You wanted to get into that in a more dynamic way. Yeah. That's, uh, that's cool. Okay. So we can take it up from there. Um, right. So, um, when I first got over the, like the honeymoon, <laughs> uh, um, and started to build stuff and started to following podcasts and the Elixir forum and started reading, um, I started to notice there was some opinions and biases that was um, kind of prohibited me, I think, or at least made me confused. Um, uh, there was a lot of talk about umbrella apps. Um, and I felt like basically I, I was told, air quotes, told about the community and uh, by the community that everything should be in an umbrella and it was just kind of silly not to put everything in an umbrella because then you can, could reuse modules and stuff. So that made me feel a bit bad that I hadn't put my stuff in an umbrella and I didn't really understand at the time what that was. Um, also, I read 
the a book uh, f- written by Lance Halvorsen, I think, mm-hmm. um, about Phoenix uh, and Elixir <laughs> uh, web development. And he promotes that you shouldn't necessarily just jump into Phoenix uh, with Ecto and so on. You should really discover your domain in pure Elixir, make that work. And then maybe if you actually need a web interface, you can go go use Phoenix. Um, um, and this whole... Uh, yeah, reading this book kind of uh, confused me even more uh, to the point where I I, I wrote a, a post on the Elixir forum asking, do do you really need a database? Uh, um, and yeah, for 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 a person who just got into the language, got into functional, thinking about transient data and what that actually means and what you should store and so forth was just a big mouthful. So that, that kind of, uh, yeah, got me less enthusiastic about the <laughs> Elixir. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I sympathize with you um, because you know, this, this path of coming in new to a community and especially, I think this is, uh, characteristic of communities that are uh, in, a, in a rapid stage of growth, where you have a lot of people coming in from different directions. You have people coming from Java, people coming from Ruby, people coming from, you know, Clojure, whatever. They're coming with all these different perspectives. And I think it's, I don't think it's a, a problem exclusive to Elixir, I, because, you know, like Josh and I, we talked before, like we, were, we both uh, kind of, at least I'm playing with some Flutter apps for mobile development. And I'm new to that environment. And as a newbie in there, then everyone's saying, oh, you got to do it this way or you got to do it that way. And it gets really intimidating because you're like, oh gosh, well, maybe I can't do anything until I do it perfectly and I understand all of it. Yeah, my, my trick is to just do stuff wrong a lot. <laughs> I think yeah, that's that, the right answer. That's, that's what I do in Flutter. I, I wrote a package that I know absolutely is definitely not fluttery, but it solved a problem. And I, I hope someone will come and, and provide some pull requests to make it better. But for now, it works for me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a good strategy. I, um, but I kind of went into my, my hobby projects with Elixir and Phoenix uh, with the mindset of, Okay, I'm I'm going to make this a simple, relatively simple app, but I want to do it right. Air quotes right. So I wanted to have the test coverage. I wanted to have like the correct structure. Again, air quotes uh, around correct. Um, I I want to use this new fantastic tool that I discovered to do something in a, yeah in a correct way but i didn't know what correct was so that was a a, a big problem i guess <laughs> i hadn't really defined what i was 
looking for or wanted to do. Yeah, that is, that is a challenge because I don't even know that there is a correct. And I just want to, to kind of say to you, dear listener, if you are newer to Elixir and you are, you know, in that similar situation where you're thinking, you know, you know, you can get kind of frozen, right? Where you don't move forward because you're like, I don't want to do it wrong. I want to do it right from the beginning. It's like, you just got to kind of go with it. And if you're just starting with just a Phoenix app and, and, you know, use a database, get started with that. Like if, especially if you're coming from something like rails where that's like the norm, just get started and don't freak out about how, how it needs to be perfect. Cause like iteration two or three, or, you know, play with small projects, you can iterate. You can try out an umbrella. You can find a good guide that tells you, you know, how to, how to do TDD with Elixir, you know, whatever it is. It's like, just don't let that be what freezes you up. And just do something fun. Like programming is fun. Make sure it's fun or you won't follow on. Exactly. And it needs to solve a problem that you actually care about. At least I find that most helpful. Right. That I actually had a few ideas I wanted to do. So I got, I got that right. But um, yeah, also during my first Phoenix project, they released 1.4 and introduced context and stuff. Right. That kind of threw a wrench in my whole thinking with, yeah, darn it. I, uh, (laughs) now I have to (laughs) rewrite this whole thing uh, to make it correct again. So it's, like the the theme again is for for the people out there getting started just find a way to do it and have fun that's that's probably the the whole takeaway of this uh, <laughs> this talk here <laughs> yeah and and so fortunately you were at a uh, an elixir conference and you ran into uh claudio ortolina who we've previously had as a guest as well and so how did, how did he help you in that situation? Yeah, so I actually, um, I went to London for the London Elixir thing. I don't, yeah, a few months ago. And uh, Erlang Solutions offered to just, that you could talk with one of their consultants about yeah, anything Elixir or Erlang. And I thought, well, I just, I might as well just, yeah, go and talk to them. So um, they put me together with uh, Claudio, who's a really nice guy. And we just, I was kind of apologetic because <laughs> I thought this, this was meant for people who ha- have um, Elixir Erlang in production and uh I just had my small hobby projects and I, I told him pretty much what I've told you now. And uh, his advice was um, that I should, yeah, don't get overwhelmed and had define a small project and maybe, maybe do something with uh, nerves. That's fun. And um, it turned out I, I'd actually, uh, considered doing something in nerves already i i do home brewing and uh, i have this uh i had this thermometer hooked up to uh, a raspberry pi 
and I, I'd written uh, like a temperature logger uh, in in Node JS. Um, so I thought, okay, something I've already implemented must be like a e an easy thing to do. I know what I want to do. I have like the specs, so to so to speak, a very clear, concise idea of I can do this with nerves. So uh, I thought, it, okay, I'll I'll just rewrite my temperature thing in uh, in nerves. So that's what I did when I got home from the conference. Yeah. And how did that go? Um, it uh, <laughs> it's not finished, but uh, I I um, I did make some uh, progress. Uh, it at the point it it locks um, temp or well it outputs the temperature of uh, two sensors and um, uh, works uh, in a well it's a gen server who who's uh, reading the temperature so you get all the the nice stuff uh, you get for free uh, from OTP. Um, if something should crash, it can uh, reboot itself and so forth. So the most important question, was it fun? Yes, it was. <laughs> uh, and it still is. Uh, the, the project's been on standby for, for a while now because of work and so forth, but, uh, but it's... Uh, it's still uh, yeah, in development, but uh, I'm really happy with what I have now. And it was really fun to do. And I learned a lot about actually just about gen servers and all that stuff uh, doing this. So uh, yeah, it's been That's great. Cool. Fun. We'll put a link to that. You wrote a blog article um, kind of talking about that first nerves project. And so I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can kind of follow along with what you were doing there. Cool. So is your hope to eventually do more with home brewing and uh, nerves? Is that, is that what you'd like to see happen? Um, I mean, for me, home brewing is a hobby and it's, it's supposed to be just a hobby. Uh, and being kind of a geeky IoT interested guy is a really good fit for brewing because there's a lot of measuring and stuff. Uh, yeah, Justin uh, Snack is yeah uh, one of the core members on Nerves is also a home brewer and he's actually done something quite similar. So it's uh, it's a, it's a perfect fit <laughs> um but i'd, I'd like to uh, explore iot in a more uh, general uh, sense uh, using nerves so yeah do you have any other nerves projects you're thinking about now that you've been playing with it a bit well nothing specific uh but um i'd like to uh put my uh, so-called knowledge about programming and and development into maybe a, like clean energy, a green energy. So um, I haven't I haven't found the the 
the right idea yet, but I, I hope to uh, venture into that uh, field using, uh, using nerfs uh, somehow. Um, yeah. It's awesome to have lofty goals. Uh, I just want to open and close chicken coop doors. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a noble, uh, noble goal as well. You know, the chickens need to get out. I was just looking for a talk um, at ElixirConf <laughs> 2018. There was a presentation that I attended. It was about nerves and it was about growing algae and using it for the temp temperature sensors and everything and then harvesting the algae. And I was just looking for a link to this and, oh, I found it. I'll put that in the show notes. It, it is um, uh, my first bioreactor with, uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name. His name's David but I'll put that in the show notes. I just thought it was interesting that, you know, you mentioned like the idea of uh, clean energy or green and um, just that, yeah, other people share this interest and nerves might be a good fit as to a way to keep, you know, small IOT style devices that are um, just monitoring temperatures and outputs and, you know, sensors and you're collecting data off of sensors and aggregating that and doing something just interesting, even if it's just a hobby, just, you know, just something fun with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, at least for the, the networking uh, stuff, uh, you know, it's a match made in heaven. Uh, so, uh, you know, every, anything you could do with uh, like, yeah, connected devices, uh, gathering data, like manipulating stuff, uh, FarmBot is also a huge, uh, as far as I remember, they use uh, nerves as well. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, as, a, as I said, it's a match made in heaven. It's so easy and yeah, you get all the, the good stuff from OTP, which is, battle tested uh, through a few decades decades so uh, yeah uh, it's uh, it, it's it, it should be possible to make something uh, cool with uh, nerves and elixir definitely yeah um, I do want to kind of come back uh, to some of our previous discussion around uh, correctness and so you'd, you'd mentioned a few of the different things like umbrellas was one. Uh, Phoenix is not your app. Uh, do I even need a database? You know, these kinds of ideas. And, and uh, so let's just, let's just talk about them together. Like I'd love to hear everyone's opinion on is there a right way? And, you, you know, uh, and you know, what would you do as a first approach? Like what is okay? Like, so Josh, like do you use umbrellas? How do you approach that? These days, I tend to use umbrellas for basically any project. And the first thing that I do is build my data layer, which typically stores data in Ecto. Um, so like right now, we're working on a project and we've only just started adding the actual Ecto bits, but uh, the actual database bits, but we used Ecto schemas to represent the data so that we could construct them with factories using Ex Machina um, to basically provide our GraphQL endpoints so that our, our it's actually Flutter and Absinthe app. And so our Flutter app makes requests. The first thing we did was mock out the screens. No Elixir there. And then we mocked out the data that we needed and sort of defined the queries. Then we defined the schema and provided uh, mock data. 
And right now we're in the process of going through, and now that the GraphQL is all wired up to the front end, actually going through and using the database to get the data rather than return mock data. And so I think we, we got most of that done today, but like that's my typical flow in that sort of application. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like one of my favorite things about Elixir is building, building things that are not like the normal thing I build. So, you know, we're doing work for people. I do a lot of line of business applications that are very, Hey, put a database on the internet. Um, and they are more interesting than that these days, but there's still a big part of it. But so when I'm doing like side projects or just something for fun, like when I built a, a Tetris application and it has, has no database. It's just, it stores games in memory. And then if you restart it, they're all gone. Um, and obviously I could, I could persist the games, right? I could have the, the process being the game, write them to disk or write them to a file or whatever, or sorry, write them to the database. But, uh, I, I really enjoy that, that style, but mostly my sort of consulting st- type work. We're using Postgres and I'm using Ecto. Yeah. I, it was interesting as you kind of started describing it. It's like, wow, I do that exactly. <laughs> but yes, yeah, like I use Ex Machina, uh, to help, um, it's a, a library for factories for generating da- test data. Um, I use that. I also, uh, I do enjoy um, an, uh, the umbrella where, uh, with a web separate from like a core business logic app. And I typically always call that core. Um, but yeah, it's Postgres, Ecto. And I mean, really that has solved, like that approach has solved just about every problem I've, I've hit. And then there, there, are, I, there are other kind of edge things that I've encountered that, might take a slightly different approach, but, uh, but one thing I want to point out is it is okay. Like if you are new to Elixir, it is okay. Not worrying about the umbrellas because just getting started with an umbrella, there is a little bit more to be aware of, especially once you start adding multiple apps and just understanding the relationships between the apps. And so don't let that hang you up. Don't even go there if that's going to cause you problems, right? Just get started with a Phoenix app, right? Yeah, and that really, really, like umbrellas are only super valuable, in my opinion, when like you're deploying and you want some nodes to only run some of the applications in the umbrella. Um, if you're always running all the applications, then they could very well just live under one parent supervisor and just put them in library directories. But I still make umbrellas because it's not actually very, very complicated to do. And among other things, that means I can sort of run independent tests, like each thing is its own standalone thing and it helps me think through my dependency requirements as well because if i've got a dependency on another application in my umbrella you know some of my some of my apps will have you know 10 things in the umbrella and it becomes very clear if i have a dependency i can think like Do I, does this really need to be here or is the piece that like uses this should it should it compose the other piece right yeah i i share the same view so we're just saying it's not we're not going to have a good argument here <laughs> This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. 
you can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash elixir. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. One question I do have is, um, like, from the beginning, I, I got the impression that if you put a number of uh, modules in uh, an umbrella or yeah, a number of projects, you would more easily be able to pull them out. If you have some generic component, you might want to reuse in a whole another project is that that was the impression i got it, but i think it, it depends like if you're um it, it it i think it really depends so i don't think it really makes them that much easier to pull out except in as much as you're more in control of what dependencies they have um right because like if you have a directory in in your lib folder and then you just in your supervisor start any processes that it needs or start its supervisor that manages the its dependencies then like it, that's very easy to extract too. And you don't have to have an umbrella to do that. So I think, I think that's sort of minimally true, but right. yeah, the, yeah, I think was... the real benefit for me in that is having explicitly the, the dependencies, its own mixed project where I can be more clear about what it depends on. Right. Because I was thinking about the version control and stuff. If you actually want to do that, you have to have Git sub modules uh, and so forth, which is not, yeah. Yeah, you want to avoid Git submodules if you can. Yeah. So, uh, so Nerves um, kind of promotes a poncho structure, <laughs> uh, which is. <laughs> I haven't heard uh, it called that. That's fun. Okay, right. Uh, um, so it's actually just you know two uh, mix projects living in the same directory. And you just um, fetch the dependency use using path. Uh, yeah, so it, it just lives next to each other. Um, and I found that really nice, actually, because um, when I did the temperature thing, um, I kind of just, you know, went ahead and made it work in a naive way. And then when you progress, you start to split things apart and, and, and yeah, divide, um, divide code into files and modules that kind of make sense. So I actually split the whole bit that actually reads the, the temperature of the physical device into a uh, a module, and then I have a module that you know handles the like uh, has a gen server and has the supervision and, and stuff like that. So uh, that actually worked out uh, really nicely, and they live in uh, separate uh, Git repositories. So yeah, I thought that was a, a nice way to do it. That's cool. One of the benefits I do see now with nerves, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's some, there's some different dynamics going on there because of the way it runs embedded. And I would, I would love to spend more time and just kind of dig into nerves more. I just haven't set aside the time yet and I keep needing to do it. But, um, 
But with umbrellas, one of the things I do like about that um, is the idea of like currently I'm, I work on a project where there's, I don't know, maybe it's a kind of an SOA. It's not like microservices. There are several, like seven or so services that are, you know, like a Phoenix app, one's a Rails app, you know, several Phoenix apps, that kind of thing. And being able to have integration tests that go across everything uh, is really easy in an umbrella because everything gets loaded, all the dependencies just kind of load things up, start them up in the right order so I can have higher level integration style tests, which I find very helpful. And just kind of going back to what Josh said, using like being able to do mixed test on just an app is helpful. Uh, and doing like dialyzer on just an app is really helpful. Um, but yeah, I think that the main benefit that I was seeing with umbrellas was um, code organization. I've just seen a lot of uh, people unintentionally, you know, theoretically you can do with a Phoenix app, you know, just with your lib folder and, and organizing it, you can manage a really, a, have a really well-structured app, but it, it becomes tempting and easy to start kind of interlacing these different code dependencies. And when you forcibly move things out into separate apps, it makes that harder. You feel it more and you, then you, it helps me kind of like start to think, okay, like Josh was saying, okay, is this, is this even the right place to do this? I, I think that's, that's helpful. helpful. Uh, in the same way, I think the whole uh, functional programming paradigm is helpful because you, you're constrained in some ways and yeah, it makes you think in a different way, but it also results in, yeah, <laughs> I was about to say better code. That's, <laughs> but, uh, it's it's easier just to uh, separate concerns and have you know pure functions and uh, yeah it gets easier to reason about and I think code structure if you if you force some kind of uh, structure upon yourself it 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 gives you a framework to yeah help you reason about your code separate concerns and all that. So that's a good lead into a follow up question from some of these uh, kind of your your story as you kind of came to the community and, and experienced all these different do it this way, do it that way kind of problems. So one of you talked about how Phoenix 1.4 came out and there were contexts and the idea of these, you know, contexts as kind of a domain. Like, what was that like as a, in terms of like coming to that as a code organization approach? Did that make sense? Did you struggle with that? What was that like? I actually liked the idea very much. Uh, I didn't get too far with it because I got so discouraged at that point. It was, it was, I think that was like the drop that just made, <laughs> made me, yeah, it just put me off. Um, I felt like I'd gotten, uh, yeah, to a nice place with my hobby project, my previous hobby project. And I was kind of, yeah, getting somewhere. And then the talk came out on YouTube and I was like, oh no, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this on ice and just wait till I, I, I find some inspiration again. Uh, so I, I actually, um, honestly, I haven't used context that much because mm -hmm. I haven't 
done anything in Phoenix unless some uh, I've played around with uh, channels um, this last month or two, which are very nice and again a perfect match for IoT stuff. Um, uh, but uh, I haven't played too much with context, but I, I actually do like the idea because again, it's it's a pattern, a structure to help you yeah, get some structure on your code, uh, be very conscious about what, um, what each part of the code are supposed to do. So yeah, I, I like the idea. Yeah, I, I like them a lot because I, uh, I was, I'd started doing that in my Ruby code before I sort of migrated to Elixir. And honestly, in Elixir, I had, uh, in my, well, in my Phoenix apps, I'd, I'd backed off from sort of what I considered new best practices in Ruby. Now in Ruby, if you use Active Record, but you wrap it up in your pers your internal API, and no one's supposed to talk to Active Record at any point, except for inside there, people get real mad and think that you write weird code. Um, <laughs> so I at least like that other people look at code that I write this way now and they don't go, why would you ever do this? I mean, we should just call the database from the view. Um, so I like, I like a lot that at the very least we've, you know, in the Elixir community, that's, that's more the norm than the exception. Yeah, that is, that is funny. Um, that is true. I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. Like, oh yeah, well, why not just talk directly to the database from the view? I mean, that's like, you know, PHP. Oh no. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but with contexts, um, one of the things I, you know, I talk with a lot of people who are, a lot of them are, are coming newer to Elixir. And one of the questions I hear a lot is about code organization. Like, how do you structure a project? And so I think a lot of people are coming with, with Anders kind of experience of like, what is the right way? And I don't know that there is a right way, but there, the, the community is slowly kind of coalescing around. This seems to be a good practice. And so in terms of, I'd love to hear like, you know, even, even with like Android apps, you know, like, and just, and Josh with you with Elixir or whatever, or Flutter, like just how do you approach code organization? Like you've got all these files and you've got, you want to structure them in some meaningful way. How do you approach that? Especially kind of thinking of Elixir too. So like I, I mostly organize things in the, you know, sort of in, in the context way. And I definitely am not doing proper bounded context by any stretch. They are not bounded. They talk to each other. Um, and in, in theory, they shouldn't in practice, it has not come back to bite me yet. So it's just, is not a concern of mine. Um, though I, you know, I definitely sort of occasionally feel like this isn't as clean as it should be. Um, it's just hasn't, hasn't been worth actually taking that extra step. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally you pick a, I pick a bucket of behavior and I give it a name and then the stuff related to that bucket of behavior is, is inside a subdirectory and namespaced module wise. And that's typically enough for me in almost any language. Yeah, that's one of the, when I kind of started seeing contexts um, and being talked about in the community some time ago, um, as I just, as you kind of poke around inside of well-written uh, Elixir libraries, or even, you know, like Ecto being a library, Timex being a library, you know, you just kind of poke around inside any of these, even uh, standard lib kind of Elixir stuff, you just kind of start to notice that it has this hierarchical structure. And you know, that you have like an entry point that is kind of your top level. Like this is really where you should start when you're talking to this library. And 
I, I did, that seemed like a very sensible way to go, especially with Elixir where, you know, you really don't have private uh, data types. You know, you, you can't really, you can't prevent someone from digging all the way deep down, down into your stuff and like, you know, messing with the in, internals of a struct. You know, you can't really encapsulate that and, you know, enforceably like, like you can with objects. So it all comes down to like convention and, and like, well, I know if I dug down really deep into this library, I can't count on that not breaking in a future release because that's like their internals. And I think context use the same approach, right? It's like if I have a, a conceptual view of uh, what my business app does, right? Maybe it's, you know, a blog being the, the stupid kind of, you know, go-to idea, but like I, I have a thing of, you know, posts and, and users and, you know, comments. And, and so like, you have these ideas that are like, well, a lot of these concepts can be grouped together under one context. They don't, you know, I don't have to have a context for each entity type, right? I don't have to have a, a, a context for a comment. You know, that might be part of, you know, a post. Maybe I have a context called posts and it has, you know, I don't know. So it's like, I'm just kind of making up as I go along. But uh, so like kind of when you kind of, uh, Josh, I'm thinking like when you're, talking about elixir contexts um how do you narrow it down I, I think of it as an, like a hierarchy where it's like a pyramid where that entry point is at the top and how do you kind of decide what belongs up there at the top of like where i enter enter this context from yeah right now i am way more granular than i want to be long term so i do a lot of like a context for so like i'm, I'm doing a forum and so I have a context for threads uh, in a previous iteration. I had just a forums context, but it was really big, right? Because that's the whole app is a forum. And there were a few ancillary things that weren't particularly related to forumness necessarily, but you know, it felt, it felt like that was a bit too, too broad of a context. Um, so what I tend to do is I make, I make these small granular ones because inevitably, even though I have a posts context, I don't just have a post schema in it, right? I have post views and I have other things related to sort of helpers for posts. And um, eventually, when it, when it feels like this is a bit wonky, it's a little, little awkward to always be, you know, to, for each of these things to have their own context, then I'll make a facade that's just a sort of a context module that literally just uses the other ones. And maybe I'll remove documentation from the other ones so that people aren't encouraged to use those and they use the primary entry point, but I still have them. Um, so that's, that's kind of my, my strategy is eventually wrap things up in a facade but initially, I, I go, I go wild making more uh, more granular context than is probably reasonable, because I find going going towards a facade is easier than uh, stripping stuff out if I went the other way first. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually do the same thing and I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> so like, yeah. So like, say you have a, a thing called a post, right? So I would have a just the convention I've used. I kind of kind of pick this up from other people, I guess is that I would have a context called posts being plural. And that is my interface for doing a lot of CRUD actions. And, and then I would have, and then I might even have some other stuff like, you know, where I could have a by user kind of function that would return posts for like I passed in a user. But yes, like it's the idea of a, I have a context, like I call them mini contexts, which is kind of what I think you were describing. It's like the context around uh, the main database access for an entity. And then I do have like, 
like an example, uh, a system I work on is uh, deals with applicants. And so it like there's an ATS kind of idea of a context. And so an, an ATS has applicants, applications, you know, all these different, you know, things they're applying to. Uh, and so you can kind of group all of those, like that's that higher order thing you're talking about. But then still deeper within, the, within that, that folder structure, I'll have a, con, a mini context, you know, I'm just co calling it that, uh, for accessing each of those different uh, relationships or those, you know, like actually getting applicants by an ID or something like that. So I think, I think we're on the same page there. Yeah, I have, I have basically two rules. Uh, the first one is like that, that context module is the only thing that can talk, that can talk about the repo, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I hold to that 95% of the time and it should be 100. Um, and I've, I've forgotten my other rule briefly, so I'm sorry about that. I started off with more to say than this. <laughs> well, I wanted to come back to, uh, so Anders has kind of pointed out the poncho uh, code organist organization. So uh, why don't you tell us about that? Because uh, you, uh, we're going to drop this note, uh, this link that's to a NERVS documentation. We'll drop that in the uh, show notes so everyone can check that out. But why don't you kind of walk us through kind of how they structure this? Yeah. So as I kind of touched upon before, it's it's actually just, well, the 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 documentation page you, you're referring to is uh, uh, for nerves, as you said, and they have a page on user interfaces. And um, so, so the example is that you would use Phoenix um, to have a, a user interface for your nerves device. And uh, it's actually just, uh, yeah, making uh, uh, a directory and uh, you would do uh, mix nerves new and yeah call your yeah, give your your firmware some name your nerves project and then in the same folder you you do a mix phoenix new and um, usually you would strip out um, ecto uh usually you you don't really need that uh for for the interface so you have uh, uh a nerves project and a phoenix project living side by side and uh in your uh firmware uh mix dot exs you uh you just add your ui as a dependency using the path atom um, so where pulls in the the UI and yeah you need to configure some network networking and stuff but uh, yeah as I touched upon before um, it it makes it super clean and super easy to uh, split out uh, stuff so in in my hobby project I I have uh, at this point, I actually have four projects side by side. I'm I'm trying to implement um, this. Uh, uh, I'm trying to implement something called Coap, which is this protocol um, used for IoT devices. It was yeah, it's. Uh, 
it's super lightweight and uh, so I, I just kind of picked it up somewhere and, and actually found uh, a blog post uh, um, there was this guy who who did a project with nerves and co-op um, uh, actually a few years ago so um, I just wanted to to do the same so I have a, a project in my poncho just called co-op and that's gonna be responsible for for that whole bit handling that protocol so it's yeah super easy to handle super easy to to have version control on each bit of the the whole project and yeah it's cool i don't know if it makes more sense for nerves than for like a uh, a web app centric <laughs> application but uh yeah it's something to uh check out at least yeah i think that's a good resource and we'll include that in the show notes but it's it's you know it's a choosing your project structure for a nerves app when you have you're talking about your user interface and what i think is great about this little article is it's the part of the do official documentation is they're saying here's how you do it using a poncho structure and here's how you do it using an umbrella structure and they link to a blog post that explain why uh, umbrella projects can be problematic for nerves projects so that's something just to be aware of i think thanks for sharing that um but i think we're about out of time is there anything more we want to talk uh, mention or before we go to picks no. Nope. Awesome. <laughs> well, uh, let's go to picks then. Josh, do you have something for us? I do have something. So there's a uh, there's this article that's just a recap of front-end development in 2018. And it's sort of broadly interesting. Um, just just an interesting thing to read through. Um, and also separately, I'll pick Elm, Elm because uh, I, I will always pick Elm. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, thumbs up for Elm. It's, uh, I had to write some vanilla JavaScript uh, a few days ago, and I I haven't written any JavaScript for a long time. And it was, yeah, I wanted to go to Elm, but I I couldn't for this. So <laughs> yeah, I'm doing I'm doing a lot of Flutter, and there are places where it's super declarative feeling, and then there are places where I have to go do imperative things, and every time I do that, I I, I don't regret using Flutter. I think Flutter is great, but it makes me yearn for uh, an, an Elm native. Right. That would be cool. Well, I'll go next. Um, so kind of going along with our topic today of, you know, being new to a community and not wanting to get bogged down in uh, all the different mindsets or perspectives about how you should do something, right? Uh, one of the things I find helpful for myself is I will, I try to set a goal for it for like today. Like what is my goal today? And I think that's really helpful when I have a larger goal that I'm working towards, like a, you know, a goal that might be a 30 day goal. And then the idea is like, if I have this larger goal and you know, that could be, you know, building a temperature sensing IOT device, you know, nerves project. It could be, you know, fleshing out like a, a Phoenix app, you know, it could be, you know, anything, you know, fitness related, whatever. But then the idea is that I think my goal, I have that 30-day goal, that bigger goal in mind, and I have what can I do today to move that forward? 
And even if it's you know, like today is going to be a bad day, a lot of stuff comes up. It's like, okay, well, I've only got maybe 10 minutes. What is something I can do that just moves me forward a little bit more? Just because one of the things is losing momentum just kills my energy and drive for, for keeping going. So like if I just do a li- something at least a little bit every day just to keep my momentum going, then it's like, I feel like I'm getting stuff done. I'm, and there's a, then you get more energy. I, I get more energy just by having that. So I guess my pick is having a bigger goal and then what can I do today to push me towards that goal? So that's my pick. Divide um, yeah. and conquer. Yeah, exactly. I was uh, about to say the same. And as you say, if, if you're really busy and you literally just have 10 minutes, just, you know, change that CSS style that is bugging you, some color <laughs> or whatever, just write two lines of code, put it down and feel good about those two lines. That's, uh, that's enough to keep your momentum going if you, you really don't have any time. Yeah. Awesome. And Anders, do you have something for us? Actually, I have two things I want to share. I'll start with the technical uh, one. It's um, it's a book on uh, the pragmatic bookshelf I'm reading at the moment. Uh, property based testing with proper Erlang and Elixir, and that's uh, by Fred Herbert. It's in beta right now, so it's not quite finished, but it's definitely yeah. It's worth uh, starting uh, starting on if if you want to get into uh, property based testing. One thing that kind of put me off a bit is that he's not using since he's actually coming from Erlang. Um, he's not using stream data and uh, and uh, quick check, uh, but he's using prop er but it's uh, it's fine he he um, he has these uh, parts about how how you're supposed to actually find the properties which are super useful Um, uh, and he also have these uh, um, these gotcha boxes or warnings that if something is different in quick check, um, watch out because something, something. So it, yeah, it's just a <laughs> super, super nice uh, book if, if you want to get into uh, uh, property-based testing. Um, the other thing I wanted to uh, pick is a book called Search Inside Yourself. And it's by a guy named Chaitman Tan, who uh, used to work at Google. Uh, and he did this, uh, this course in, internally uh, in Google called Search Inside Yourself. Um, so it's about the, yeah, it, 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 it kind of comes from uh, like Buddhist philosophy and, uh, and mindfulness is, yeah, mindfulness is the word, I guess. Um, but reading it uh, was super cool, I think. Um, he kind of tackles the whole mindfulness from a, an engineer's point of view. Uh, and uh, there's this uh, 
one phrase he uh, he uses a lot, uh, which goes something like uh, that the other person that you might be upset with is also a human being and he or she wants to be happy and free of uh, suffering, I guess. Um, so even just, you know, you receive a pull request which makes you unhappy and kind of makes you twist. Just taking a breath and, uh, yeah, trying to put yourself in, uh, in the other person's uh, shoes is super uh, useful for any person and definitely for developers. Uh, and I think especially for uh, when you're working remote and you don't actually see the face of, of the other person you're working with, just being able to take a step back and take a breath is uh, super useful. So that's my other pick. Awesome. Well, thank you, Anders, for coming on today. And if people would like to follow you online or connect with you, where should they go to do that? Um, so I'm not active on basically any social media. <laughs> uh, but uh, if you do want to uh, connect with me, I am on, on the Elixir Slack. Uh, yeah, do send me a PM or something because I, I don't actually monitor the channels. But uh, yeah send me a message there or uh, uh, go to my website maybe. Uh, on, we'll put that in the show notes, I guess. So uh, yeah. Awesome. All right. I got a link to that. All right. Well, I think that's it then for today. And we hope you will join us next week on Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.